strategy execution, the ability to turn your strategic vision into reality, the ability to turn plans into action. Let's face it, it's often easier said than done. If you find yourself turning plans into reality takes three times longer than expected and costs twice as much, you're not alone. Discover a better way to achieve more success with my next guest, Gary Tomlinson, co-author of Discovering Execution, the key to high-performance organizations. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Gary Tomlinson helps organizations bridge that huge gap between business planning and implementation by showing them how to master execution as a competency. Gary is a founding member of the Keen Institute, where he employs the Keen Link process to help clients successfully clarify and achieve their strategic objectives year after year. Gary's also a consultant, motivational speaker, educator, and serial entrepreneur, having founded six successful businesses. And so as a result, Gary is well-versed in the areas of entrepreneurship, leadership, organizational execution, and communication. As a matter of fact, he regularly speaks on those subjects and has been lecturing at the North Carolina State University's College of Management for more than 28 years. More recently, Gary has distilled his best tips and strategies on how to bridge the gap between business planning and implementation into a new book, Discovering Execution, the Key to High-Performance Organizations. So let's bring him on now to learn more about this important topic of how to make things happen. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Gary. Well, thank you. Uh, Hannah, I really appreciate you having me on. This is quite an honor. Well, thank you. I'm honored to have you. You know, Gary, so many organizations have terrific ideas and plans for their future, but they have difficulty getting things off the ground. That's why I was excited to hear about your expertise in this area. So let's start at the beginning. Tell me, what does execution mean to you? We took our definition from the book by Bossidy and Sharan, Execution, the Discipline of Getting Things Done. They quote, execution is not just something that does or doesn't get done. Execution is a set of behaviors and techniques that companies master in order to have competitive advantage. It's a discipline of its own. What Miles, my partner, and I say, it's everything we do. Execution is all about planning, engaging, and implementing. So tell me, why do you think executives, managers, and entrepreneurs just like assume execution will happen by itself instead of treating it as a process that needs to be nurtured? That's a really good question, and I don't know if I have the best answers for it, but what we've come up with is that it's just taken for granted. Um, an analogy we use is we say that execution is a lot like air. Everyone knows what air is. It's that mostly invisible stuff, hopefully, that is made up of nitrogen and oxygen and other uh, gases. It has principles and properties, and execution is everywhere. I'm sorry, air is everywhere, but it's also invisible. In fact, it wasn't all that long ago that although air existed, it hadn't been discovered. And then some scientists came along and said, wait a minute, there is stuff in this air that we breathe, and we can learn about it, and we can nurture it, and we can protect it, and we can enhance it. Well, execution is like air, and it too is everywhere, but it's invisible, and most of us haven't discovered it. And what's interesting is 
Execution, as I said, is everything we do. But why haven't we taken the time to learn how to do it better? In fact, why doesn't every leader have execution as the number one core competency that they want their organization to get better at? And when you think about it, in our business schools, the subjects of strategy are front and center in, in our business colleges, in our MBA programs. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a single course on execution or managing execution or learning how to manage execution down to that individual level in any of our business schools. So let's drill down into that a little bit, Gary. You said they, there is no course on it. If you were to create a course, what are some of the factors that you feel would need to be included in order to help people master execution as a competency? I, I think the first step would be talking about two prerequisites. The first prerequisite is asking yourself, what is execution to you? And a second prerequisite, would, would you be willing to entertain the notion that it's not exactly what you think it is? And then simply said, there are three steps that we talk about in discovering execution. One is just come to recognize that execution is the most important competency we can imagine. Two, realize that there's capabilities and that there's skills and practices that will actually increase our ability to execute, that we can learn to get better at execution. And then three, learn something that when practice obviously improves your ability to execute. Now, with those steps, to answer your question more fully, thinking about the essential elements uh, that you have to pay attention to. One of the elements is commitment. You have to be committed to wanting to get better at something. Now, you could also be talking, this is like the chicken and the egg, what comes first, commitment or the discovery of execution? And why discovering execution is so important is that if we don't discover something, what's the likelihood that we would try to even take it on to get better at it? Another essential element is languaging of, of execution. Um, most of the words around execution don't have real positive connotations. Hannah, just think about the first word, execution. What comes to your mind when you hear that word? Off with her head. <laughs> off, with, off with her head. You know, I'm, here's, a, here's another word around execution that some people think is like a four-letter word, accountability. And one that's, that's even more scary, holding others accountable, stretch goals, commitments. Just the entire language around execution uh, can be scary. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talked about a language of greatness for our organizations. Well, since everything we do takes execution, it would make sense to have execution have its own language of greatness. Now, I'm not saying that we, we create brand new words, but I am saying that to individuals and to organizations, we need to have our own positive definitions of the execution language. Before you get to any other steps here, well, you've really intrigued me here with the language and greatness because, uh, you know, there's just so many management fads out there. And I'm not meaning to suggest that execution or the implementation process is one of them because that, that's where the rubber meets the road, right, to get the ideas into action and get results and achieve higher performance. So that's real. But it concerns me a little bit when I hear talk about language because that can easily turn into a bunch of marshmallow kind of talk, which is like, yeah, and next month we're going to have a new flavor of the month management philosophy. So what kind of language is going to be authentic that people can really rally around and say, yeah, this is real and I can make a difference. So let's go. That's a great question. 
this is not something that you can have a one-time conversation around, or you can't say, um, you know, here's, here's the special 10 words that everyone will get it. This is something about relationships. This is something about the relationships at work. In fact, if I was to ask you, Hannah, what do you think are, are what's the purpose of relationships at work? To help each other, to help move Correct. the organization forward. You know, we're in this together. It's, it should be a team. When personal interests and personal agendas start taking precedence over the organization, you have a real rat's nest of politics and backstabbing and self-serving behavior, which really doesn't benefit anybody in the long run, certainly not the stakeholders. So, you know, relationships are about making things better. Hannah, in listening to your answer, first of all, I rarely get an answer like that. This is a <laughs> question. This is a question that my partner and I, in doing the research for the book, asked a lot of people. And the employees that we asked, we heard answers like, "Well, it's somebody to go to lunch with. It's somebody to maybe um, uh, speak to at work. You know, when we're having our breaks, maybe it's someone to go have a drink with after the, um, you know, after work." Also heard comments like it's somebody to complain about the boss to or someone to talk about the company, you know, what's not going right with the company, you know, and having that um, camaraderie with, with, with uh, a coworker. When we talked with the executives, they just kind of shrugged and, and gave answers like, I just sort of hope everyone just gets along. Well, like you said, what we believe is that the purpose of relationships at work is to help move forward the success of the organization. We're all there to help one another be successful. So going back to your question about the languaging, it's about having understanding what we mean when we use these terms. I got to listen to a speaker a couple months ago, and, and one of the notes I took down is he said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't know it well enough. And what he was meaning by that is he wasn't talking about dumbing it down and, and talking down to somebody. He was saying that we use such buzzwords and such corporate speak all the time that it's like it just bounces off the Teflon of our brains to the ones that are listening to it. Exactly, exactly. So your point of making sure that it's just not the, the corporate rhetoric that's so easy to keep our head down and, and think if we're just quiet, this too shall pass. Right. The comment about the six-year-old, that's, that's very interesting because I, I have a lot of friends that are lawyers, and I know one in particular who actually practices her closing statements for trials on six-year-olds because if they can get it, so can the jury. <laughs> well, but that's, that makes a lot of sense. Once again, you're trying to have successful communication. At the very least, that should be mutual understanding. Right, and it should appeal at an emotional level that people want to. That's what's going to reinforce your commitment, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we talked about, before I derailed you here, you talked about commitment, you talked about communication. What else would you put in this course on execution? Well, we also talked about relationships. Yes. And um, this is counterintuitive to a lot of us in leadership positions. We think as we climb the corporate ladder or as we become more successful in organizations, it's our genius to bring people around us or hire people that will make us successful, when actually it's the opposite that's true. The higher we climb this corporate ladder, the more successful we become, the more it is our obligation to help the people report to us be successful. And this is something that, that is an outrageous statement. But when you think about people that, you know, have, that are in leadership positions, most of the time 
we have very little time to actually spend in helping others be successful because we're so busy doing our own work. And my belief is if a manager spent 80% of his or her time doing nothing but helping the other people be successful that report to them, that what they accomplish collectively would be far greater than it is now. But that's something that when I share that with audiences, they'll either tell me during the, the Q&A part or they'll come up to me afterwards and say, I, I was really intrigued by what you said about spending 80% of your time. And they said, I don't even know if I spend 2% of my time. But it's something for me to think about. Well, it's good that you provoke that thought process because it's really easy. Entrepreneurs in particular, they're so busy doing and working in their business, they don't work on it. And what you're talking about is one of those top-level functions to say, how can I make my business better? Part of that is is helping your people have access to the resources in order to help build your business, right? It, it sure is. And, and along that line, and this is something that we have not learned to do, but it's managing execution. And when you think about execution, most of us talk about execution from a group standpoint. We think about the company executing. We think about that division executing, about the department executing. We live uh, where we live, Hannah. We're in an area where the sports are big, especially the college sports. And with basketball, watching just the, the, the finals of any basketball tournament, you'll see the announcer from ESPN come out and is talking with one of the coaches. And it could, you know, the conversation could go like this. Coach, this is the third time you've played this team this year and you haven't won. What are you going to have to do different? And the coach typically answers we're going to have to execute better. As a team, on our offense, we're going to have to execute our plays, and we're going to have to stop them from executing theirs. And it's always from a team standpoint. But when the game begins and that ref throws the ball up and the two players jump and one taps it to his own player, it's not the team that catches the ball, it's the player. It's not the team that dribbles down, it's a player. It's not the team that passes, it's an individual. It's not the team that shoots, it's an individual. Now, by no means am I saying that teamwork is not important. I want to make sure that the listeners don't feel like I'm saying that. Teamwork is very important. But no matter how you slice it, execution happens at an individual level. And as organizations, we, for the most part, haven't learned how to manage execution not taught in any of our business schools or any of our MBA programs. So how should we start managing it? Well, one of the things is understanding how it all fits together. Okay. When you were, when one of your earlier statements, you talked about the purpose of relationships at work and how it's helping to move forward the success of the organization. You said it's about, you know, the stakeholders and, and such. Well, thinking about how it all fits together is what are the stakeholders' objectives? something I call the foundation data, but what is the purpose of your organization? What is your vision? What is your mission? What are your core behaviors, which are minimal behavior standards? And those influence, what are we going to get done as an organization this year? Well, if you think about that from a, from a, from a C-suite standpoint or from an owner standpoint or an executive team standpoint, now how does that fit in with this department over here or this department over here? How do they make a difference? But because execution happens at an individual level, it has to get down to that individual level. How am I making a contribution here? Do I understand, as an employee of this organization, how it all fits together? Do I get to see how my department 
how my team, how I make a difference, and how I am helping the organization be successful. Now, you also, and this is another subject, but you also have to be appreciated and given a fair and reasonable return on your contribution to the company and have to be respected for what you do. Okay, so in your experience, what's the best way to bridge this gap between the we, the team, the organization, and the individual player that is critical? They each have a role to play in order for it to come together. It's not an easy answer, but the answer is conversation, effective communication. And it's not where, um, like we typically do, where where a few people get together at the beginning of the year and put together a strategy and then call a town hall meeting and orate what we're going to do for the year and then feel like we've done our job and everyone, you know, now get cracking on this. Right, exactly. So what should we do, do instead? Why, why do keep, organizations keep falling down in this area? I think understanding first how this all fits together. Actually, starting with the executive team, you know, the leaders of the organization. What are their responsibilities? And then from each of those leaders, how do they communicate that effectively to each of their team members so their team members see how they fit into that department, how what they do makes a difference? And then, of course, you've got the report cards, things such as, okay, here are the goals that we have, here are the action steps we're going to take, and then you inspect what you expect. How are we doing? You know, for me and the, and the organizations that I consult with, we use something called an execution management system. And that's something that is um, that each person has their own performance agreement and that they have an understanding of, of how it all fits together from the top all the way down to their department or their team. And then they understand their own performance agreement. It's something that they've helped create. What is this organization counting on me for? What are my daily activities? And what are the goals that I'm responsible for that helps us be successful in achieving the goals of the organization? Interesting. Do you have an example of some organization that you're familiar with? I don't need names, but just a general description of the type of business it is where they were doing one type of communication or perhaps miscommunication. And then after working with you, they started to realize where the gaps were that they needed to improve on in their execution process and how it changed and and actually translated into tangible results. I will start with in answering that question with this. I have yet to work with an organization and usually I work with the owner, the president, the CEO, that I can spend 10 hours with that individual, and I have watched them turn around and share that 10 hours' worth of information in 10 minutes with one of their direct reports and think they did the same thing that I did with them. And it doesn't work that way. This takes an investment. This takes a commitment. You, are, you know, If you are indeed committed to the success of the people that report to you, you are making sure they understand. And that's something that takes dialogue. That's something that's not a one-time thing. And that's something that I do with the executive team. Now, I've been doing this for quite a while, but it wasn't until my partner, Miles Kirsten, and I wrote this book that it's probably had as much influence or more influence on me than it's had on anybody else. I now go through with, with our book with my clients. And every week, they'll take 16 pages or, or a couple chapters. They'll read it, and then we'll discuss it. And we do that over a 10-week period. 
And now they're having me do that with every one of their direct reports, and their direct reports are doing it with every one of their direct reports, and it's going through the organization where they're having a real mutual understanding of talk about the language of execution. But it's also just things like understanding the purpose of relationships at work. Just that alone starts knocking down silos. And now people that normally wouldn't try to help somebody else are now doing so. They're taking pride in somebody else's accomplishment. Is that making sense, what I just shared with you? Yeah, it does make sense. And and I applaud those organizations that are making the investment in time because it really takes employees to be selfless. And part of that is going to be how they're recognized for their selflessness. So it basically is the beginnings of a culture shift. And I applaud that. It very much is. But this is something that takes commitment from an individual in a leadership position. And they have to have a type of belief that if I'm on this journey, if I'm committed to this journey, then everyone else that's with me on this journey must be committed to. And it isn't easy. Is commitment one of the weak links that you see when people fail in this process, that their commitment isn't strong enough to see it through? Or is there another link in the execution cycle that trips them up? I would say commitment is the number one um, element. Okay. That's the most important element. Uh, what's interesting is when we put the outline of our book together, the chapter on commitment wasn't even included in the outline. And as the book did to us throughout the whole writing process, it would whisper to us. And it whispered that commitment needed to be in its own chapter. And uh, this, uh, gosh, this is, I'm, I'm censoring myself. These may be fighting words, but for a lot of us, we've never really been committed to anything. We haven't been committed to our career. We haven't been committed to our family. We haven't been committed to our exercise program. We haven't been committed to our diets. We've wanted it to happen. We've, we've wished it, but we haven't really been committed. I go back because of my age. I get to think about President Kennedy declaring to the nation in the early 60s that we were going to land on the moon with a man and we were going to bring him back home safely. And we were going to do that by the end of that decade. Well, that was quite a declaration. And there were a lot of people that thought that, that President Kennedy uh, kind of lost his mind on this. And they, I'm sure they were very respectful when they came up to him, but they said, Mr. President, um, you've, you've, you've said we're going to do something that's impossible. And he goes, the scientists told him, he says, sir, we, we don't even have the fuel to get there. It doesn't exist. And he looks at him and he goes, I hear you. Go invent it. Commitment doesn't mean we know how we're going to get there. Commitment means we're going, to, we're going to find a way to prevail. When I ask CEOs when they have put together their strategy for the year and their initiatives, what they're going to accomplish as an organization, I ask them, are you committed to this? And almost every time I ask that question, there's silence. And they say things to me, well, I'll give it my best shot, or I don't know if I can be committed to this. Because I don't know if the people that are reporting to me, if they're all going to be committed to it. Therefore, I can't make that commitment to you, Gary. Interesting answer. Which my answer back to them is, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I don't care. I didn't ask you about anybody else. I asked you about you. Are you committed? Because as a leader, if you're not committed, why should anybody else be? That's very true. So it's very much a leadership issue. Gary, what prompted you or inspired you to write the book in the first place? I mean, you've been working in this area of execution and implementation for a while. Why the book? I had been wanting to write a book, 
and it was something very similar to my New Year's resolution of cleaning out the attic. That's been my New Year's resolution, my top one, for 12 straight years. Unfortunately, it will be it for the 13th year, too. And so it was something I wanted to do, but I hadn't gotten off first base with that. And my writing partner, Miles Kearson, Miles and I had been writing a series of articles together, and we were writing articles mainly because we were studying the subject matter of that article, and we collaborated really well. We had a great methodology that we used, and in December of 2015, he says, Gary, I've been working on a book on execution for three years, and he says, I don't know if I'll ever finish it, but I finish the articles that you and I start every time. Would you write a book with me on execution? And that's how that happened. Well, I'm glad to see that the commitment came to fruition. I couldn't resist that one, Gary, because, okay. you, know, you know, basically writing a book is just about breaking down the chapters and treating each one like an article because clearly you have mastered that and, and done very well. So congratulations on the book, Discovering Execution, the Key to High Performance. Sounds like there's a ton of content between those covers, and we're going to have a link to it on the episode page at businessconfidentialradio.com so listeners can check it out for themselves. That's businessconfidentialradio.com. What I'm curious about, Gary, is, you know, someone picks up your book. What is the most important takeaway for the readers of the book? What's the most single important thing you'd like them to remember about it? I would like for them, in fact, I'd like to make a request to your listeners. Should this have been compelling enough for you to investigate the book, Discovering Execution? I'd like to request that you read the first 16 pages of the book. That's all I'm requesting. Okay, and that's that the hook. And that includes the forward, the introduction, and the preface. Because my experience says if you read the first 16 pages, you'll read the rest of the book. It's a page turner. Okay, you heard it directly from the co-author. Come get the link, businessconfidentialradio.com. The book, again, is Discovering Execution, the Key to High Performance Organizations. Wonderful. You know, Gary, I am fascinated by your many accomplishments. You're a motivational speaker, consultant, educator, and a serial entrepreneur. You have packed multiple lifetimes into a single career, and you're still going strong. Who has inspired or influenced you along the way of your journey? I've been real fortunate. I've had a lot of people that I think have been influential, starting with my parents. But I have quickly two that come to mind. One was my first business partner, Walt Thorne. And Walt and I created a medical home care company in 1978 where we pioneered infant monitoring to prevent crib death, volume ventilators in the home, and oxygen concentrators. And we were purchased a few years later by a company that wanted to take us nationwide. And today that company is known as Apria Healthcare. And what was so influential about Walt, he, he was the first person that taught me about business and about business subjects, if you will. And he had this style of when he was doing a project, he really focused on the little things. And he taught me that that was the difference between him and somebody else. Everybody has to focus on the big things or it won't get done. Well, he had to do that. You know, we all have to do that. But it's by focusing on the little things, that manicuring, if you will, that makes the difference that sets it apart. So that's something I've taken to heart ever since. He's, he's still influencing me. And the second one has been someone fairly recently in the last six or seven years, and that's my writing partner, business partner, Miles Kearson. Miles, just one, asking me to write this book, but two, just his demeanor. Um, he, I, I look at him as kind of like a sage. Uh, he's very spiritual, 
uh, and I've learned so much from him. I'm a, I feel I'm a better human being because of him. Wow, that means a lot, I can tell. Thank you so much for your time today, Gary, and for sharing these powerful tips and strategies with my Business Confidential Now listeners. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome, and I, and I thank you for this, this opportunity, and I hope that your listeners found value from our conversation today. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then, 